Hello, hello. This is Kathy Colas Audiobooks, and today we have episode 10 of Jim Riverboy by M.J. Omer. We travel back to when Claire forces Josie to get the abortion. Josie tried to refuse, but Claire would hear none of it. She was convinced she was saving Josie from ruining her life, but in reality, she was trying to save her own reputation. Here we go. A slight swishing sound filled the air as the cattails brushed against one another like two lovers in a tango dance. From her vantage point on the hillside, Claire watched their brown heads bob and weave around each other as if flirting was their only means by which to communicate. The sun was never seen, but its light shone abundantly, constantly, and in all directions. The sun never set here, not in this in-between place, as she was referring to it in her mind. So it radiated above her now and beckoned her to use its illumination to shed light on her shadows. She could feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, stronger than it had been these past several years. Ignorance is bliss until ignorance no longer holds up its end of the bargain, and bliss evaporates. What remains behind is truth. And truth, she knew, was hard to hide from. It always emerges. It always shows its face eventually. It always forces us to either face it back or lose part of ourselves to its power. If we choose the latter, then truth exits but leaves denial in its place, internally destroying us little by little in a way that no healthy eating or daily exercise can heal. And so, Claire found herself face to face with the truth once more. Tell me, the inner voice beckoned. Her chest was locked up, feeling hard as stone as she fought the calling. She'd been in this place before, several times, but always managed to push the voice away and leave its insistence a memory for a short time before it returned, requesting that she listen, hopeful that she would. The battle between free will and submission is strong and profoundly difficult. Easier to submit to free will than to submit to the Creator's call to repentance and a changed heart, mind, and lifestyle. But easier doesn't mean pain-free. The only way to true peace is to come clean, face the truth, and be honest before the Creator. Oh, God, her mind started to reel. I don't even know where to start. I can't even remember the last time I really openly talked to you in silent prayer, let alone out loud. Her Catholic upbringing was full of routine, pomp and circumstance, obligations and formal procedures. Personalization was optional, like many religions are, and hers was missing. Once upon a time, perhaps it existed, when Alan was alive, But since that hot summer 12 years ago, it had grown cold and hard, giving up on God because you don't feel He's listening or hearing or answering prayers or even cares is one thing. But feeling as though God has given up on you is entirely different. You know, Josie prays a lot, Jacob told her a few hours later, as they walked through the trees lining the South River bank. 
The birds were chirping like a Sunday morning choir, and Claire knew she'd never heard anything more beautiful in her life. She thanks God for her healing, and she prays for your heart and mind to be healed, too. Claire was deep in thought, mindlessly twirling a piece of brome grass between her fingers while its counterparts brushed against her legs. That's why she leads those support groups, right? She looked over at him. It's therapy for her, too, to help others find peace and forgiveness. He nodded and smiled. She's seeing that silver lining, that thing God does with bad situations. She's pursuing the good that he's brought out of her pain, and she's allowing herself to be used by him to help others. She understands that he never lets anything bad happen to his followers without turning it into something good later on. What good has come out of it for me, though? I've been overly miserable for the past 12 years and have a dysfunctional, ruined relationship with my daughter. Have you been miserable because of God being God? Or because of your own choices? He countered, stopping in his tracks as he waited for a response. With a faint sense of irritation, Claire realized this young boy was reprimanding her. And although it was in the most tactful, innocent way, it still stung. For the past 12 years, she'd been attending church weekly, sometimes twice a week, taking Holy Communion once a month and giving of her time and money to the church. But she was no closer to God than the day she chose to push him aside for personal pleasure at the age of 15. She turned to face him. I regret a lot of things I've done, choices I've made, attitudes and whatnot. I guess I don't understand why I can't find peace or even be happy anymore. Regret is not the same as repentance. She scowled openly at him. The pain of past regrets can cause us to continue to make poor decisions. It's basically self-destruction because we're unhealed and damaged and trying to push through life with a broken leg, which is what it seems like you've been experiencing. But the good news is that regret can also be used to draw us closer to God through true repentance. That's like finally going to the doctor to get a cast on your broken leg so it can heal properly. I like that analogy, Jacob. Thank you. She smiled at the boy, grateful for his insight and amazed by his wisdom. He truly has a connection to God in a way I can't explain. You see, we can regret a lot of things we do or say, thinking that by feeling bad about it we'll be forgiven. But if we don't confess those things to the one we offended and seek forgiveness and learn from it, then it's kind of pointless. But the Lord has heard it all from me. I tell him my struggles and needs and constantly pray for help. Jacob interrupted. Have you told him about the abortion? July, 1993. What? No! Josie defended herself. You can't do this! Claire's mind traveled back to the day she and Josie drove across the state line. The memory was so engraved in her mind, even despite her attempts to dislodge it, it still played out before her like it happened yesterday. I can and I will. The choice is not yours, Josie. Claire said sternly. 
eyes never leaving the windshield with its black wipers swishing the moisture away from her line of sight. A fine mist coated their small two-door Chevy Beretta as it sped down the interstate. The fog hung low, making visibility limited. Josie had been oblivious to the schemes her mother was plotting, until this morning. Before the sun rose, Claire jolted Josie from sleep, instructing her to dress in sweatpants and get in the car in ten minutes, not revealing their destination on purpose for nearly a half an hour. It's murder, Mom! Her shrill voice was frantic with fear when she was informed they were going to a discreet clinic to terminate the pregnancy. Claire's expression was stone cold, completely indifferent to her daughter's pleas. If you have this baby, it'll ruin your life, I guarantee it. And besides that, do you know what this'll do to us in this town? Do you have any idea what the church will say about this crap? Her question was rhetorical, not that Josie had an answer for her anyhow. We'll be shunned and looked down on for the rest of our lives. It won't ruin my life, she pleaded. Oh, really? So you can just forget about college, and, and you can tell your friends that you've decided to be like your mother, a night shift worker that has no social life or hobbies because of her kid. Claire's animosity did not slip by Josie, whose heart could nearly be heard breaking at the bitter confession. The judgment was thick and pungent in the small car. Josie shook her head, not sure what to make of her mother's comments. No, I can give it up for adoption and then start college. It'll only delay me by one semester, Mom. Her voice flat the energy quickly leaving her as her mind struggled to understand how calloused her mother was being. Her mother glared at her. Oh, really? So that'll work out just fine, huh, Josie? You can just hang out in the house for the next eight months so no one finds out about this? No church, no grocery store, no mowing the lawn, or even checking the mail, because, God forbid, someone might drive by and see you? Her sarcasm was so vehement it echoed through the car. You're getting an abortion! Josie didn't move, didn't breathe. The word echoed through the car like it was the Grand Canyon bouncing off the roof, the floorboards and windows, then back to her broken heart. It's murder, Mom. You know that it's murder. Her voice was stern. A baby's heart starts beating before a woman misses her period, before she even knows she's pregnant. This is a human being. This is not your choice, Josephine. It's my body, and it's my baby. It doesn't matter how it was conceived. It's still my baby. I can give it up for adoption. Her mother tried to silence her with a stern look. Come on, Mom. I'll go away somewhere until it's born. I'll stay with friends or relatives somewhere far away from here, so no one will know about it. Please, Mom, we can't do this. She put her hand on her mother's arm, pleading with her tears and soul. Claire rolled her eyes, fed up with her daughter's pleas and nagging. Can't keep a child that was conceived out of wedlock, rape or no rape. She still wasn't convinced she believed Josie on that point. The girl's probably slutting around behind my back. 
they were not going through with this pregnancy. Claire pulled her arm from Josie's grasp. We are doing this. In a few hours, it's all going to be over. Then we can get our lives back. They drove in silence for several miles, the swishing of the wipers the only sound between them. You can recover at home, then pack your stuff up and leave for college. Until then, we just keep our mouths shut about this whole deal, and then we can keep the embarrassment to a minimum. News of this gets out, and we'll have to change churches and social circles. Probably move out of the state is what I do, she said, thinking out loud more than she should have. Going against everything she knew to be right, Josie dared challenge her mother. Are you serious? You're more concerned about being embarrassed than you are about committing murder? This is a child, your grandchild. It is not a child that can be brought into this world. God won't allow that sort of creation conceived by lust and sin to live. He'll probably make you miscarry it anyway as a punishment for your actions, Claire said. I was not sinning or lusting. I was raped. Why can't you believe me? Josie was beside herself with confusion at her mother's lack of trust in her. Their relationship hadn't been super close because her mother worked a lot, but they talked easily when they were together, worked side by side, keeping their home and little acreage in shape, and didn't argue, ever, until now. Your sin has led you into this pit, and I'm going to get you out. Someday you can thank me for allowing you to still have a life and go to college and not be tied down with a kid. Claire motioned with her hands for Josie to open the glove box. Josie complied. Give me those, indicating the pack of menthol cigarettes and lighter. Josie's jaw dropped as she slowly reached in for the items, putting them into her mother's trembling hands. She'd never known her mother to smoke, had no idea that was even an option. This topic is no longer open for discussion. Claire pulled a menthol from the package and lit it up, cracking the window slightly to allow the smoke to escape. Claire found herself wishing she were smoke and could so easily be removed from this situation, from this car and the task ahead of her. She let the effects of the cigarette wash over her enjoying the slight buzz that rushed through her body, intensified by the infrequency of the ritual. This was a habit she didn't entertain that often, just after an abnormally stressful workday or when her daughter showed up pregnant. She turned the music up louder to drown out the voice in her head that told her, This isn't right. You know this isn't right. Pushing the accelerator further down, she inched the odometer higher to expedite the day, anxious to get home and back to normal. Josie sat in stony silence, forehead against the pane, her eyes fixated on the high-line wires and fence poles zipping by past her window. The dark earthen fields displayed their canvases of green in tidy rows that stretched out from her gaze. To Claire, she looked like she wanted to die right where she sat. Shallow breaths labored in her chest and tears rolled down her red, swollen cheeks, evidence of multiple nights spent in restless agony. Claire's demeanor was stony as well, not from emotion or turmoil, 
but from anger at her daughter having put her in the situation in the first place. The redness of her own eyes was covered by perfectly applied makeup. Her hair neatly French braided with any loose strands tucked behind her ears or held in place by bobby pins. Lip gloss shining, she stared ahead, faking ignorance of Josie's turmoil. Claire was allowed to be in the procedural room with Josie, but chose not to partake. Waiting in the lobby instead, looking at old copies of Time and Good Housekeeping, and trying to memorize the tips and tricks to looking more youthful, until the nurse called for her to come and get their patient. Josie had laid on the back seat of the car and sobbed all the way home. You can kill a child, but you can't let me ride in a car without a seatbelt on? She yelled at her mother when told to buckle up. Claire realized her once gentle and respectful daughter was now gone. The wind knew that day, and the sky also. It was late June, but cold gusts of wind bit at the brome grass atop the river bottoms and blew down through the ravines as fierce as a winter squall. It shook the front window pane of their house, the loose one Claire had intended to fix for the past year, but never seemed to get around to, and seeped under the door. Later that evening, raindrops hard as tacks hit the roof in constant reprimand as though punishing Claire's actions. Claire stood in the kitchen for hours, her breath fogging the front window, trying not to think about what just transpired that morning, but finding that with every breath her heart was cracking open a bit more, revealing unpleasantries that were best left in the dark. She tried holding her breath. That didn't work. She could lose herself in a bottle of wine, but knew it would only give her a massive headache, and thus another problem. It was as though a giant hand were clamping her heart and squeezing, squeezing out all the shock, the anger, the logic, so that it oozed outside and ran down the front steps like worms after a spring rain. She vowed to herself that dreary afternoon to never speak of the day's events ever again. She would instead forget them. Repression could be successful if repeated often enough. And there you have it. Again, I want to thank author M.J. Ulmer for joining me yesterday. And I want to remind all of you that on Monday, we have episode 11 of Freeze Before Burning by Nikki Stern. For all you authors out there that might want to turn your novel into an audiobook, hit me up. You can email me at kathycolis at gmail.com. That's C-A-T-H-I-C-O-L-A-S at gmail.com. Or check out my website, kathycolis.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on Monday.